They looked at it. Their mouths flew open. They looked at each other. They looked back at it. They looked at each other. And then they, they, they didn't know. They looked up. And as the bus is going by, I'm watching them through the window. And they're jumping and they're hugging. And then they, they run across the road. But they don't just run across the road. They're like leaping and bounding with each other. And they're skipping. And, they're, and, and then I watch them as they're running down the middle of the median. They're yelling out to their families. They're screaming out to their families. place at the right time. I'm Brad Hicks with Dan Zazvorka. Here I am. (laughs) In this podcast, Dan takes a deeper look at his own wrong place experiences and and he gleans from many of them, uh, many of those experiences, um, unsuspected and surprising outcomes. Um, So sit back, relax, and enjoy Dan's stories and see if you can't relate to how being in the wrong place may have been just the right time in your own life journey. Okay, so we, uh, back in the 90s, we lived in the Yucatan. Uh, that's a, a peninsula at the bottom of Mexico. And uh, we lived there. I was teaching in a seminary for future uh, worship leaders and pastors uh, in the Presbyterian Church of uh, Yucatan. And uh, as I was teaching, I think it was probably my second year there, um, one of uh, they uh, they always had a purified water, one of those big five gallon or ten gallon jugs of purified water in a dispenser mm. in the seminary because uh, drinking water in Mexico is tricky if you don't drink purified water. And so I went to seminary like usual. Anyway, uh, turns out they ran out of purified water. But the gardener, who was just a local guy from the village, great guy, older guy, he was gardener and caretaker. He decided, since they were out of water, to take the water jug, one of the empty water jugs, and fill it up with the well water. And that was just fine to him because he was kind of immune to everything because he had been drinking that all his life. But it turns out that he gave... Uh, because of that, half of the seminary got typhoid. And uh, I didn't know I had typhoid. I was at home. I I get migraines. Uh, all my life I've been getting migraines. And so I was getting these bad migraines. And that's what I thought it was. Well, after two or three days of this, uh, some of the students showed up, my house, up at my house and knocked on the door. And they said, 
you you know, are you sick? Could be that you have typhoid. And uh, so I went to the doctor. Turns out I did have typhoid, and a lot of the students had typhoid. With typhoid, you get a regimen of two weeks of uh, antibiotics, and usually it's gone. And so I went, um, and my daughter and daughters and wife tested positive as well, but they had no symptoms. And I was sick as a dog. I was throwing up. I had fever. I had delirium. It was, you know, I was sick. Well, I go through my two weeks uh, of antibiotics, and I felt better. And then a week later, I went back into it. I was sick again. I went back to check. I got a test again. I still had typhoid. So they gave me a different antibiotic. And I went through that. And then I felt good for like a week, maybe even two weeks. And then I was sick again. And I, I, I had typhoid. I kept having re recurrences of typhoid. So this happened. And this went on. I went through... Must have been five or six different antibiotics. I was sick most of the time, just really miserably sick. Finally, um, uh, I went to this one doctor and he said, it's probably hiding in your gall gallbladder and we may need to operate and take out your gallbladder. And I'm like, in Mexico, I'm not getting my gallbladder taken out <laughs> in Mexico. I don't know about that, you know, and so I said, is there anything else? And uh, he said, well, we can give you this really strong antibiotic and you have to take it in injections. And I said, OK, I'll, I'll do it, you know. So in Mexico, it's a little different, the medical system. You basically go to the pharmacist, you get the antibiotic, you get the, uh, the hypodermic needles so that you can give it to yourself if you want. I wasn't brave enough to uh, give it to myself. So I found a, a local doctor in our neighborhood. He was a few blocks away and I asked him if he would give me these shots. He said, yes. So I, I would walk from our house. It was probably six to eight blocks, walk over to this doctor's house. He would let me in and then, uh, Actually, this is this is quite a funny uh, uh, side of this story. So I take all of this stuff, the antibiotics and the hypodermic needle, and I had to do this uh, 10, 10 to 14 times. But I went to his house the first time. I handed him the stuff. He pulled, he, he loaded up the needle. Then he said, okay, lean, uh, face the wall and pull, pull your pants down, and I'm going to shoot you. In, in the butt cheek, you know, and this is all in Spanish. And uh, so I, I pull my pants halfway down. He takes the, a swab with alcohol and rubs the spot. But then there was always this gap of like 10 seconds where I'm standing there and, and the alcohol is dried off or is drying off. And then I feel this air blowing on the spot by, that he washed up. And I'm, I'm thinking, if I look back, he's going to be down there blowing on my butt. <laughs> I, I'm like, 
this is really embarrassing. I, what's he doing back there? And I never got the courage. I, 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 I was like, I'm not turning around. This is going to be too embarrassing. And then uh, after that uh, gap of 10 seconds, he poke me and give me the shot. And I thank him and I leave. I come back the next day and we did this. And every single day of the 10 shots, I felt this blowing on, on my butt. And I guess like I went over to tell Kelly, he's blowing on my butt. I don't know what to do. I just, it's really awkward. It's such a weird thing for me. And anyway, so at that, eventually that finally ended uh, my bout with typhoid, which was probably uh, ended up being about four months of having typhoid. I was, and by the end, I was just worn and skinny and uh, really, I just, but in the middle of this, this story happens in the middle of this. Um, I became quite depressed because of, of having typhoid and not feeling good. And, at, and one of the things that I really like to do that I've developed this habit and I love doing in my life is giving to the poor. I, I just, it just makes me feel a part of God's kingdom and, and, and a part of something good to just go out and, and give to the poor in some way. And I've developed this over my whole life and practiced it a lot. And so, uh, but we are living in Yucatan. We didn't have a big budget. And my wife doesn't feel as comfortable about giving to the poor as I do. She, she's much more reserved about that. She's much more like, we need, we need that money. But I was so depressed that she came to me one day and she said, you need, you need something to cheer you up. So anyway, so she comes to me and she says, Dan, here's, here's a bunch of money. I want you to go out and give it to the poor. <laughs> I want you to cheer up. And this, well, I know this will cheer you up and I want you to do that. And it was actually a significant amount for her to give me. Uh, and, and I was quite stunned, but I was, uh, I, I did raise my spirits right away. And so I, I took the money. And I got on the bus and in, uh, in Mexico, a lot of the cities have a central square that they call a Zocalo. And in many of the cities, there are people uh, who beg for money, people who are uh, disabled, blind, lame, maimed, uh, poor. They beg for money in the Zocalo. It's, and the main Catholic church is usually on the Zocalo, and that they ask for alms in front of the church. And and Merida was like that. There was a Zocalo downtown, and I knew it well because I had often gone down there to give to the poor, and also I may uh, talk to people who were poor. So she gave me this big amount of money. I put it in an envelope, a bunch of bills, and I headed down to the Zocalo. And I did, I, I made the rounds. I knew several people. There was a, an indigenous woman uh, who I had become friends with who had a small, some small children and lived on the street. And she, she said her name was Maria, which a lot of them will say their name is Maria, even though it might not be. But a lot of people in Mexico, a lot of women are named Maria also. So I never knew if that was her real name. 
Because when I'd go wanted to go looking for her and I'd ask for Maria, uh, people were like, yeah, right, Maria. There's so many Marias down here. Um, anyway, so I gave, I found her, gave, gave her some, some money. And usually I would try to do, uh, give secretly. Me and the kids would often, me and my daughters would often sneak around and try to find secret ways to give to people. One of the people that I would give to that was so easy to give secretly to was a blind guy. And his name was David. And it was so easy because you just walk by and don't say anything and put money in his cup and walk on and then come back five minutes later and talk to him. So I would do that. I did that. And I came back and talked to him five minutes later. Um, and you would, uh, you would, you would say something like, Hey, look what somebody gave you in your cup. <laughs> <laughs> no, I wouldn't point it out. Usually, uh, usually the, the beggars down there actually, uh, they put their money away pretty quickly because there's, there's people that would steal from them. And there's also in, in this weird kind of system of these pimps that pimp out beggars. It's a weird thing. And so often they would, if they got a big amount, they would tuck it away as fast as possible. So, so probably, I don't remember if it was there or not, but I'd come back and say, hola, David, como estas? You know, we'd get in a big conversation. Um, actually, he was... Uh, one time, and because I was having typhoid and I was having trouble at the seminary, I don't remember what it was, and I was frustrated. So I just decided to kind of dump and have him listen to me. And I'm standing there and and I'm saying, oh, the seminary stinks, and I can't believe they're doing this, and my life is, ah, mm -hmm. and I'm complaining. And he he was such a, this is this is actually God working through him, but he stopped me. He put his hand on me and he stopped me and he said, he said, Daniel, because I went by Daniel down there. He said, Daniel, you need to, you need to grow up. You need to mature. You, you're complaining, but. What is your age at the time? I, I was like 45 or something. I was, I was. Just a whiny. Yeah, I was a whiny, whiny I think it was guy late 30s time. or something. Yeah, I was whining and he's like, come on, grow up. And, I, and then I thought about it after. I was like, oh my gosh, a blind beggar. And I'm complaining to him about my stinky problems. It was, it was a very uh, neat thing for him to confront me about that. Anyway, okay, so now I'm setting up the main part of the story. Uh, when I was driving in the bus, riding in the bus, because we didn't have a car, when, when I was riding in the bus down to the Zocalo, I saw in the median, uh, not too far from our house, actually, in the median between the two roads, there's this grass median, and uh, there was a family there. And I had noticed them uh, – earlier in the week and they had been there for probably a week week and a half a family that had gotten stranded there there were girls and little kids and a mother and a father and they were like sleeping there and it's obvious that they were so, and they were not from the neighborhood and they were somehow traveling or something and they ran out of money or something and they got stranded right there and this is in the, the Zocalo? No, this oh. is on the way to the Zocalo. Oh, on the so, way. Yeah. And what were they actually staying in? They would just put up some tarps and they oh. were just like, 
the whole family was like just, just sleeping not far, there. Not far off the road? or It was in the middle of the road. You know, the, the, the median, wow. there was like this grass, uh, with some trees between the two lanes of the road. And that's, that's where they were staying. And I had noticed them a couple times and mentioned them to Kelly. And, um, and I, so then, but it didn't register too much with me. I saw them when I went down, I went to the Zocalo, gave away money. And then I had some leftover money, a, a pretty good amount. And I was, I got on the bus and started heading home and I'm, I'm praying to God. I want to give this, all of this to somebody, please put somebody in my path that I can give this to that really needs it, Lord. And, uh, and so the, the bus is coming down the road. It stops at one of the bus stops and two, uh, young girls get on probably middle school, late middle school, early high school age. And they, they were, uh, they got on and I could tell they were the girls from that family and they were sisters. And one of the things that you do in Mexico can do in Mexico to, to, to get money is you beg on public transportation, buses, uh, met, uh, subways, you name it. And so they got on the bus with their heads just hung as low as possible. And they walked all the way to the back of the bus and they stood in the back of the bus. And I was about three seats from the back of the bus and they had their heads down. They wouldn't look at anybody. They didn't look at anybody. And the bus started up, and one of the things that sometimes beggars do is they sing. And they sing a song or they do something in order to deserve, kind of deserve the, what they're asking for. And so they started singing, and it was so low, and it was so bad. And, and they were such bad singers, and they were singing so low in Spanish. And... I was so uh, I was so embarrassed for them because obviously they were ashamed and they were full of shame and they had obviously had never done this before and they were not good at it. It sounds like uh, oh. did, their, did their mom and dad kind of basically say, "Here's here's what you got to go do." Yeah, I'm sure it's go, what that that's what happened. Contribute to the family. Yeah, we got to get out of here. Go, we're not getting much money. Uh, just. Yeah. And so please go back for money on the bus. And so I, I'm sitting there and I'm, and I'm thinking, oh, my gosh, this is so bad. And they're so ashamed. And then I'm thinking, oh, I have that money. I I can give it to them, but I don't want them to know that I'm giving it to them. So I took the bills and I folded them up into this little square of about an about inch and a half by an inch and a half or inch by inch. I tried to make it as compact as I possibly could. And then I took two in Mexico, they have pretty big coins. And so I took two coins, uh, peso coins or whatever. And I made a little sandwich out of it. And I'm like, okay, I'll just hide it. Pretend like I'm putting coins in their hand. And so they started, uh, they started walking down the middle aisle of the bus with their hands out uh, asking for alms. And uh, they went by me and, and I, I tucked, I put it in their hands and, and, uh, they obviously weren't looking at it or anything. They're just so ashamed and they didn't notice. And they walked up the bus. Other people put some coins on top of it. And um, I'm just thanking God that I had an opportunity to give it to them. And then they get to the front of the bus and the bus stops at the, the next stop. And uh, they get off the bus and I'm watching them through the window. And I'm like, I'm, I'm watching them. And they look in their hands and they notice 
the money. And it was like, this is the, my most favorite experience uh, in my life, I think, to this date. Uh, it, they went from a complete huddled mass of shame to an incredible joy in like the space of five seconds. They looked at it, their mouths flew open. They looked at each other. They looked back at it. They looked at each other. And then they, they, they didn't know it. They looked up and as the bus is going by, I'm watching them through the window and they're jumping and they're hugging. And then they, they run across the road, but they don't just run across the road. They're like, leaping and bounding with each other and they're skipping and they're and, and then I watch them as they're running down the middle of the median they're yelling out to their families they're screaming out to their families and it was just like I was just I was bawling yeah. I was crying yeah, like and you still uh, even telling you know, the story you're still emotional I'm still it. right there yeah, because yeah. it's uh it was so much joy experienced it was like from from the depths of despair to the height of joy. And I got to watch somebody experiencing that by just sharing with them something that they really, really needed and something I didn't need that much. And, uh, oh, it's just still in my mind. Yeah, and, and, and just the ways that they bounded, it was like, you know, when you see uh, like a dog playing and bounding around or a calf in the field kicking its legs or something. It was just like that, just sheer, uh, sheer joy. And he ran back to their family and my bus continued on. And I went back and I thanked my wife for caring about me so much to allow me to be able to do that. And I did come out of my depression somewhat. Yeah. I'm sure I, I went right back into my typhoid throwing up and fever and chills and everything. Uh, but eventually I became well. And uh, what a, what a, what a sensitive and observant thing that Kelly, your wife did for you, knowing that, knowing that that may be the only thing that would raise your spirits is, yeah. to, is to be able to give and, yeah, that was a sacrifice for her too, in a way, and it was a huge sacrifice for, for her because yeah. she she has issues, uh, trouble with me giving a lot of the money that I like to give, and she really struggles with it. So, yeah. for her to volunteer that was just a real moment of grace from her to me. Yeah. Have you ever seen a going back to that image of the of the two girls just bounding with joy? Have you ever seen a little? baby goat and the way they the way they jump and kick i saw that last year that's the picture i got in my mind yeah you've never if you've ever seen anything bounding with joy it's a little baby goat when they're, when they're running around it's right. so funny yeah it's, and, and and so and that's what's so neat about it this it just broke through all those barriers and I and I'm sure they didn't know that I had given it to them. If I'm sure they were just like this appeared in our hands, you know, mm -hmm. and and it just broke down to this real basic level of who God is, who we are, and how we experience joy and and compassion, and how I can share compassion and mercy. It, it was so simple. I didn't do anything but fold up these bills and put a sandwich in there, this little money sandwich in their hand. That. That was nothing. It didn't caught. It didn't, you know, didn't take anything from me. And yet it created 
a mountain of joy. All right. That's a good place to stop there. Yeah. With a, yeah. With a mountain of joy. Mountain of joy. That's good. All right. Yeah. Right time. Perfect.